0: As I explained in the previous hour, January was my last month as pastor of Grace Reformed Baptist Church. After 49 plus years, I am now retired, and I'm still trying to figure out what that means. But I don't preach every Sunday. January was my last month of regular preaching. And so as I anticipated four more sermons left, I grappled, I pleaded with God to give me understanding of what was most important that I should say in those last four sermons. And I decided that I would give four exhortations, um, exhortations critical to the health and well-being of God's people. But as God's people in Mebane have come to expect, uh, the first exhortation became a series of sermons, and I didn't get to two, three, or four. But that one exhortation, which I shared in the previous hour, really was the burden of my heart. And that exhortation is this, and I give it to you as I gave it to the people in Meban you must keep increasing in your love for God and for Jesus Christ in particular. That should be the ongoing goal of your life. Now we have lots of goals, we have lots of things that we need to improve on, that we want to improve on, but none of them are as important As our personal relationship with Christ. And so I challenge you to make this um, chief among your own goals and endeavors. That you will love Christ and you will love him more tomorrow than you love him today. And if God blesses you to see... uh, Another Lord's Day that you'll be able to say, by grace, I love Jesus more than I did last week. Religion is often reduced to rituals or ideas. And Christianity is filled with ideas. It's filled with words. It's filled with truth. It's a big book. It's the Word of God. Every word is inspired. Every word is true. Every word is important. And there are things revealed in the Bible that are not revealed anywhere else. Things about God. Things about redemption. Things about the world to come. Things about how to be delivered from death. You won't find those things anywhere else. You won't find an explanation for death anywhere else. Why must people die? Why do all people die? We know it's a given, but why? Well, you only find the answer to that in the Bible. It's a most wonderful book. And we can never study it too much. We can never master it. We need to grow in our understanding. But Christianity, at the end of the day, is about something much bigger than the ideas, the doctrines, the truths. It's about a person. It's about God coming into this world to redeem Sinners like you and me. It's about God achieving for us a guarantee of eternal life. That's what Christianity is about. It's about a relationship with the living God through Christ. And we can well set ourselves to master theology. That's good. To memorize the Bible. That's good. But none of that is as important or goes to the core of Christianity like developing your heart's attachment to Jesus. So I challenge you to make this the number one endeavor of whatever days you have left to learn how to love Jesus more. Well, how do we do that? That's a question I want to take up in this hour. How do we grow in our love for Christ? And when I originally sketched out this sermon, uh, I had six directives for loving Christ more. But then I I realized that six can be cumbersome and it's difficult for people to remember six. So I distilled it down to two. Now even I can remember two. (coughs) My memory is going the way of my hair. But I can remember two, I think. The first one is this. How do you love Jesus more? You ask him to help you love him more. You ask him. Now, I'm assuming that particularly those of you who were here for Sunday school and even you who weren't, that your soul has resonated with the challenge to love Christ more. I, I, I'm assuming that there is something in your regenerate heart that says, that's right. I, I, I do need to love Christ more. I believe every new heart wants that. But we have a problem, don't we? There are a whole lot of things that we know to be right and good, and we want to do them. But how? How? Desire and ability are two different things. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, Paul wrote these familiar words as a Christian. He wasn't writing as an unbeliever, he was writing as a new creature in Christ. And this is what he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. And that captures perhaps the greatest frustration of the Christian life. We find ourselves too weak, too easily distracted to do what our new hearts yearn to do. At least to do it fully. To do it to the exclusion of doing the opposite. As you hopefully think seriously about loving Christ more you will find it to be exceedingly difficult. Now, it ought to be easy. I mean, it sounds like it ought to be easy. He's the most lovely person who has ever lived. He is our best friend. Whoever died for you. Whoever took your place under the wrath of God. Whoever loved you that much. Now, I'm sure you have lots of people who love you. But no one has ever loved you like Jesus loves you. So it ought to be easy to love him. It's not. It's not easy. And as I went back over these notes, I mean, it's been, what, it's been a month since I preached this? A little more? And I looked at myself, and I asked myself, am I loving Christ more than when I prepared and preached this sermon. And I wasn't happy with the answer that came back. Why? Well, it's because nothing good dwells in us. The will is present with us, but the ability does not belong to us. So my first directive in seeking to answer the question of how is simply you must pray. You must pray. You must ask Christ to supply you with the spiritual power and the spiritual energy, the grace that would move you and enable you. Psalm 119 and verse 36, I think, provides a model for that kind of praying. Psalm one nineteen thirty six reads as follows Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Incline my heart to your testimonies. You see, NIV translates the verse like this. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my heart. Incline my heart. Bend my heart. That's what we need. That's what we need to ask Christ to do. We need for Christ to bend our hearts away from certain things... And toward himself. It's so easy to love things that don't matter. Right? Things that perish with the using. Last hour I I talked about college athletics. I really enjoy college athletics. I have season football tickets. And uh, I have a son. I have two sons, but one son lives in Louisville, Kentucky. He drives from Louisville, Kentucky to Winston-Salem, North Carolina for every home football game. Now, why does he do that? Well, because he loves his dad. He wants to spend time with me now. (laughs) He loves college football. He enjoys it. We enjoy it together. What's it worth? at the end of the day. Right? What's it worth? We can get wrought up about a football game. Or a political rally. Or a candidate. Which is slightly more important than football. Only slightly. (laughs) But we can get really wrought up. We can lose sleep. When none of those things will matter a hundred years from now. Will it matter who won? But what will matter a hundred years from now, ten thousand years from now, is whether or not I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's going to matter when I die and get to heaven it's going to be, how close was I to Christ? Something we often forget. The Bible teaches that there are rewards in heaven. That there are greater degrees of blessedness and lesser degrees of blessedness. Now, when we're in heaven, we're in heaven. And we're going to be happy in heaven. But some are going to be closer to God in heaven than others. And you don't wait till you die to get closer. We have that opportunity now. What kind of relationship do we have? Is it intimate? Is it loving? We need help. And Christ can help us. Do you think he enjoys when one of his children says, Lord Jesus, I'm embarrassed by the way I love you. My love is so weak, it's so fickle, it runs hot, it runs cold. Much of the time it's lukewarm. And remember, Christ does pay attention. Remember what he said to the church in Ephesus, I have somewhat against you, why? Because you have left your first love. And to the church at Laodicea. I'm going to vomit you out of, your, out of my mouth. Because you're not cold. And you're not hot. You're lukewarm. And you're satisfied with being lukewarm. It does matter how close we get to Christ in this life. Now... I think it pleases him when one of his children comes and says, Lord Jesus, I know I ought to love you more than I do. I'm sorry for the smallness of my love. Would you please help me? Would you please draw near to me and open my eyes, the eyes of faith, and open my heart? To see more of your loveliness. Draw me closer to yourself. I think that pleases him. I, I think he answers those prayers. See, what we need, and, and Christ has the power to do it, to make. Now listen to this. Uh, I'm sure somebody could say this better than I'm going to say it. But it's the best I can say and it's very important. Christ has the power to make what we believe, to make what we see only by the eyes of faith. He has the power to make that more compelling and more thrilling to our souls. And what we see with our physical eyes. And that's what must happen. What we see by faith must become more capturing, more rapturing to our souls than what we see with our physical eyes. One of my favorite contemporary theologians was a man named Leon Morris. He was um, an Australian. And Dr. Morris died within the last two years. But here's one of the things that he wrote. Quote, It is consistent New Testament teaching that we're not able to serve God acceptably in our own strength. Now listen. All too easily... We give way to stronger forces or or simply succumb to what we see as desirable in the temptations that we encounter along the way. To walk in the ways of God, we need a strength more than our own. And Paul prays, That his converts may know that strength. Now he captured in that statement something that I experience all the time, but have never tried to put in words. He says, we succumb to what we see in temptation that we think is more desirable than what we see in Christ." That's what happens. We go to prayer, and something comes into our mind that seems more compelling and more attractive than Christ. And our mind leaves Christ and goes chasing after whatever that thing is. Now, we need help. We need help in Seeing what is beautiful in Christ. What is desirable in Christ. So how do you love Christ more? You ask him to help you. Jude 21. Jude 21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God. What do you think that means? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Do you think that means cause God to keep on loving you? Do you think that's what it means? Do you think you have the power to make God love you? There's no need to keep God loving us. But we have a great task in keeping ourselves Loving God. How do you do that? Well, you can't do that without Christ. So this is where it all begins. Lord Jesus, if I'm ever to love you more than I do, you're going to have to undertake for me and help me and strengthen the vision of my faith. And make the things that I can't see with my physical eyes more compelling, attractive, magnetic to me than what I do see with my physical eyes. Okay, that's the first part of the answer. Second part of the answer. If you would love Christ more, seek to know As much as you can possibly know about God's love for you. If you would love God more, if you would love Christ more, study the love of God. Seek to understand as much as you can possibly understand about God's love for you. I'm sure most of you, probably all of you, are familiar with 1 John 4.19. We love him. Why? We love him because he first loved us. We don't initiate anything good in our lives. All true good begins with God. It begins with the work of God's Spirit in our hearts. And so it is with our love for Him. Our love toward God, our love for Christ, begins with Him. It's His love that draws us into love for Him. So, makes sense if we're going to increase in our love for Christ, we need to become more familiar, as familiar as we can, with His love for us. The more we know of His love for us, the more we will be able to love Him. Now, <clears throat> of all the things that I might challenge you to study in the Bible. What could be more pleasant than conducting a study on the love of God for His people? That's an exhilarating subject. God's love for His people. Satan, the father of lies, has succeeded in cheapening God's love, by inoculating souls against serious thoughts about God's love. How does he do that? He does that by circulating trite little sayings like, Smile. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you hear that over and over, and it becomes mind-numbing. You say it to everybody. God loves you. Has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you. Has a wonderful plan for your life. I remember a man telling me a story about jail ministry he was involved in. And he was so passionate that sometime he, he crossed some lines trying to convince people to believe. And uh, if I remember this story correctly, he was, he was in a jail cell with a prisoner. And he so wanted him to believe, he found himself with his hands around his neck saying, You must believe. You must believe. You're going to perish, you're going to hell if you don't believe. And the prisoner said, hey, preach, back off. You told me that Christ died for me the same way he died for you. You told me that God loves me the same way he loves you. Well, if that's true, I have nothing to worry about. If Christ did the same for me, he did for you. God loves me the way he loves you. I'm going to end up where you end up. And my friend told me, he said, I realized there was a problem in the way I preached the gospel to that man. Beloved, the love of God is as majestic and holy As God himself. It's not a universal blanket. Now the benevolence of God is universal. There is a creaturely like love. That God the creator has for all rational creatures. Made in his image. He has compassion toward all. That he has created. But we're talking about something more than benevolence. Something more than the love that causes the sun to shine on the good and the bad. We're talking about a love that reaches down and snatches souls as brands out of the burning. He doesn't do that for everyone. The love of God is redemptive. It's personal, it's particular, it's effectual. The redeeming love of God is unrelenting. Those whom God loves, He saves. And not one of them will be lost. And this love originates entirely in God Himself. His eternal goodness, His sovereign will. This love is not founded in anything that we are or we do. This love is the product of God's own will. He loves us because He will love us. I mean, it's one of the great mysteries. Why does He love me? I can come up with a million reasons why He shouldn't love me. Why does He love me? Because He will love me. Because he chose to love me. His love is majestic, it's mysterious. His love never fails. God is not going to be mourning in eternity future, because some of those upon whom He has said His love didn't get to heaven. You see, nothing in this world could be as great or wonderful as being loved by God. So, we need to study His love. One of the most wonderful parts about this is that God invites us to pry into His love. Now we know there are secret things in God and the counsels of God that he doesn't want us prying into. The secret things belong to God. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. But in this case, God wants you to pry and dig into his love. Turn to Ephesians 3. in Sunday school we read from 1st peter 1 and i said it was one of the great texts in the new testament well this is another this written by paul when i read this to our people i uh, i gave them a challenge i said for those of you who are english majors Diagram this text. If I'm not mistaken, verses 14 through 19 is one sentence. Paul was a master of run-on sentences. It's one sentence. Diagram it. At the end of the service, a lady came out my door and handed me a diagram of that text. Literally. (laughs) Literally. Whoa Well, look at verse 14, Ephesians 3:14, "For this reason, I bow my knees. Let me stop there. What was the customary posture for prayer in the first century? It wasn't on your knees. The customary posture for prayer was standing with hands and head raised to heaven. But when Paul prays this prayer, he is compelled to get on his face. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you. According to the riches of his glory. That he would grant you to be strengthened. With might through the spirit. In the inner man. That he would give spiritual strength. To you in your inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you will have such faith in Christ that there will be a sensible recognition of Him dwelling in you and filling you to this end. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, and that will be what happens if Christ dwells in you with might, you will be filled with love, and I pray for this, so that, verse 18, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I pray that you will come to have such a comprehension of God's love that you will be filled with the fullness of God's love. Paul prays that all of God's children might be strengthened in faith so as to comprehend the width, the length, the depth, the height Of God's love in Christ, which he says, notice, passes knowledge. Sounds like a contradiction. I pray that you will know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. That you will know the unknowable. Well, what he is saying, obviously, is that you will never comprehend the love of Christ. It's so big, so vast, so high, so deep. You'll never be able to wrap your finite minds around it. But you can know more. And I'm praying that you will know more than you've ever known. And how does this come about? Well, it comes about in part, not just. By the work of the Spirit, but by the work of the Spirit in connection with our community together. Look at verse 18. That you may be able to comprehend with, with all the saints. That you will be able to comprehend together with your brothers and sisters See, this is one of our big problems in contemporary Christianity. We make everything to be private. It's it's me and God. Well, that's true. It is you and God. Nobody can love Christ for you. But growing in grace, increasing in love, increasing in your knowledge Of God's love for you is not something that you will be able to do alone. It requires the community of God's people. Communing together. And as we fellowship intimately together. As we observe what God's love does. Not just for us. But for our brothers and sisters, it's in that way that our appreciation for his love increases. Does that make sense? It's going deeper in our fellowship than we ordinarily go. How deep do we go in our fellowship together? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you have a good week? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, me too. What are you praying for? Rain? Well, I'm praying it'll stop. <laughs> you know what's sad? Too often that's about as deep as it goes. What are you asking Christ to do for you? Brother what what are you dealing with in your soul? Are you afraid? Do you have some apprehensions? Do you have some burdens? Are you dealing with sin? How's your war with pride? How are you getting along with your wife? You see, those are the kind of things that we need to talk about. Not so we can sit in judgment. Not so we can compare ourselves with others. But so we can bear one another's burdens. So we know how to pray for each other in the areas that matter most. And one of the things that happens when we engage in this kind of communion is that we become aware of what God is doing. Not just for us, but what He's doing for others. Testimony becomes a valuable aid And learning the love of God. Hearing brothers and sisters actually talk about God answering their prayers. I think, this is a side note, not in my notes, so it's just my idea. I think testimony ought to be part of our worship. Now, some weeks, maybe nothing has really happened, but almost every week, God has done something for someone that I need to hear about. There's another text. I want you to look at briefly Romans 5, 5 through 8. Romans 5, 5 through 8. You know what Christian hope is? Right? We use the word hope. I, I, I hope it won't rain tomorrow. We use it in the sense of a wish. Right? That's not the way the Bible uses it. Hope, Christian hope, is a confident expectation of good. Now read this with that in mind. Now hope a confident expectation for future good does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In Ephesians 3, Paul invites us to engage in careful thought about the love of God. But here he teaches us that our confident expectation of glory, our hope of heaven, will never fail us because it is supported by an experience Of God's love. God's love has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word translated poured out is the same word that Peter used to explain what happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus has poured out his Spirit. And the pouring out of the Spirit was an experience The people who received the Spirit of God experienced power. And they were enabled to speak the gospel in languages they had never learned. Beloved, the pouring out of the love of God is an experience. The Holy Spirit causes the love of God to be experienced in the souls of God's people. And unlike the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, that is once for all, the experiential reality of God's love is not just once. It can happen many, many times. That's part of what we need to ask. On one hand, we need to say, Lord, help me learn. Help me to study and learn. But on the other, we need to say, give me more of the experience of your love for me. The felt realization of your love. Pour it into my soul. You say, you're sounding like a Pentecostal. (laughs) Beloved, I believe in Christian experience. I believe regeneration is a real experience. I believe faith is an experience. I believe repentance is an experience. And I believe that there is an experience of the love of God. You say, well, how can I get that experience? Well, it it comes in connection with something. Look at verse 6, Romans 5. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps, perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God for us is peculiarly demonstrated by the death of Christ on the cross. And it's in the close, careful contemplation of the cross. And what was involved in the cross... And who it was who died on the cross, and why did he die, and what did he accomplish by his death. It is in the contemplation of the cross where God's love was demonstrated that the Holy Spirit causes us to have an inward realization, a felt realization of God's love for us. Remember the gospel account of the prostitute who boldly barged into a Pharisee's house, who bathed our Lord's feet with her tears and wiped them dry with the hair of her head. That was an audacious act. Where did it come from? It came from her realization Of being loved by Christ and forgiven of all her sins. The love of God is more than a theological reality. It is an experiential reality. And we need more of that. And we need to ask God, help me to know, help me to feel the love that you have for me. I hope talking about felt religion doesn't scare you. I hope it intrigues you. I hope you want that. There's one last point I'm just going to mention and I can't develop it. If we would love Christ more, we need to know as much as we can of his love for us. We need to study it. We need to experience it. But at the end of the day, we need to believe it. 1 John 4.16. Look this up. Memorize this text. We have known and believed. We have known and believed the love of That God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love. Abides in God. And God in him. Sometimes we don't feel loved by God. Sometimes God. Seems to have run away. And hidden. He never has. But he seems to be gone. We can't find him. In those instances we need to believe what he has said to us. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Probably, I'm not the only one Here who doesn't feel worthy of the love of God. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I haven't spent much time in my Christian experience thinking about God's love for me. I've preached a lot about God's love for his church, God's love for his people, God's love for other people. But I really haven't given much thought to God's love for me. Because I, I'm embarrassed to think about God loving me. I hope he loves me. I trust his son to get me to heaven. But I have not reveled in God's love for me the way I should. Because I... I'm afraid that if I give it too much thought, I'll discover he really doesn't love me, and I just thought he did. That's not good. I'm not offering this testimonial so that you will follow my example. But if you have that experience, I can sympathize with you. What you, if you're like me, what I need to realize is that God's love took care of my unworthiness on the cross. He loved me and he gave his son to be the propitiation for my sins. That means he has made satisfaction. My sins are gone. My guilt obliterated. I'm not worthy to be loved by him, but I have been. But how can you know? Because I believe. It may seem too good to be true, but do you believe in Christ? Can you honestly say, my only hope of heaven is Christ? Where did you get that faith? Didn't always have it. Where did that faith come from? It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If God has given you faith to believe in Christ, it's because he sent Christ to die for you on the cross. And if Christ died for you on the cross, you're safe. And he loves you. Now how do you know he loves you? Because you trust him. He doesn't love you because you trust him. But the evidence of his love for you is in the fact you trust him. Well, there's a lot more to be said about how you grow in love. But I think it begins here. Learn as much as you can learn about God's love for you. And if you're here without any hope whatsoever in the love of God, because you don't love God, you don't care about God, you don't care about Christ. I can't tell you how precarious your situation is. But I would simply challenge you to ask God. Nothing nothing lost in asking God to show you the nature of your sin and your relationship to Him. Ask Him to show that to you. And if He does, You will very quickly come to the realization that you need Jesus desperately. Let's pray.